The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. I'm Neil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. In today's episode, I speak with Vanessa Du, the co-founder and CSO of HealthAid Kombucha. HealthAid got its start when Vanessa and her best friend and her best friend's husband decided to explore entrepreneurial ideas. They launched by selling home-brewed kombucha at a farmer's market back in 2012. Today, their company, HealthAid, is a leader in the fast-growing industry, producing 100,000 bottles each week, and their kombucha can be found at over 25,000 retail stores in the U.S. and parts of Canada. The company has crossed over 100 million in retail sales and has even attracted investment from Coca-Cola. In this conversation, we explore how Vanessa and her co-founders did it. We talk about whether not having a background in the food and beverage industry hurt or helped them. You'll be surprised by her answer to that question and the moment when she finally realized they were running a successful business. Vanessa shares why she thinks focusing on product, brand, and team are the three keys to why HealthAid has grown so fast. She also talks about dealing with fear and doubt, as well as challenges of scaling kombucha manufacturing, and offers some great advice for first-time entrepreneurs. We also talk about the future of HealthAid and their goal to be leaders of digestive health and expand beyond kombucha. Vanessa shares her thoughts on trends and developments in the beverage industry and what shifting consumer trends mean for HealthAid and the future of the industry. If you are planning to launch a new project or startup or take the leap and do something creative and new, this episode is sure to inspire you. Vanessa is proof that if you believe in your ideas and you pursue it with grit and determination, there's no limit to how far you can go. And if you are currently involved in the food and beverage industry, this episode is a must listen. HealthAid's story is full of great ideas and insights on how to build a quality product, a brand, and a company that can become a leader in its category. Vanessa Du from uh, HealthAid, thank you so much for joining us on the Eat for the Planet podcast. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Thanks for having me over at the HealthAid uh, headquarters. I was uh, very happy to see the kombucha on tap as I entered. <laughs> we have plenty of that for you. Yeah, I'm a, I'm, a long, I'm a long-time kombucha fan. I've been trying to convince some people who are not believers. And I find that HealthAid usually does the trick. Thank you. Yeah, it's not too, it's, it, it, as, as I heard a friend describe it, it's 
not too hardcore and it isn't doesn't taste like soda it is somewhere in between <laughs> great we've heard similar comments before we um here we uh, are the best tasting mm-hmm. uh that might be from the flavor profiles and a lot of people call it the millennial soda <laughs> that's well that explains your success so we'll get into uh, the journey that got you to this point. But I kind of want to go back to the beginning. How does someone with a background in um, in pharma sales end up as a co-founder of the Millennial uh, Soda? Yeah, that's a great topic to start with. So I'll go way back to our first job, me and Dinah, my best friend. We met in our very first job, pharma sales. And, you know, we were these bright-eyed and bushy-tailed 20-somethings just trying to make it in this world. And as we started to work in our professional lives, we just felt very unfulfilled in what we were doing day-to-day in that job. And so what me and my best friend Dinah and her husband, Justin, we started in this entrepreneur club to try and understand what we could create as our own business, something where we can make an impact in the community, call our own, and something that ultimately fulfills us in terms of the day-to-day and what purpose we're filling. So it was you know, an entrepreneur club over great meals and great wine together as friends, and we were brainstorming different ideas from you know, a parking spot finder app to other solutions to pains that you might have day-to-day. And one day... Ha- Interestingly enough, Justin came home from his hairdresser and he said he he was depressed and very upset because he was told he was going to be bald by 30. And we thought, aha, why don't we create something for the hair loss industry? Mm-hmm. We'll do something natural, we'll do something organic, and we'll make it the cure for hair loss. So Dinah had been brewing kombucha for since her nutritionist days in grad school. So we had heard anecdotally that we could cure hair loss through kombucha, not the beverage, Mm -hmm. but by creating this hair loss mask from the culture you use to ferment kombucha. So we started cultivating these high-quality scobies to cure hair loss. Needless to say, that did not work out. But what we did have was amazing kombucha. And we decided to start selling in the farmer's market that first day, March 25th of 2012, And we brought five cases to that first market. And we sold out that first day Mm -hmm. uh, due to lots of hustling out in that market and sampling. But sold out nonetheless and essentially never looked back and kept on going. And was I'm trying to think back at 2012. Like, was I drinking kombucha in 2012? I don't know, actually. I can't remember. I mean, I guess my question is really how... Much of a market was there for kombucha. Was it? Was it? Uh, it definitely wasn't as mainstream as it is right now. But were there brands out in the market already with some success? Um, so was this based on the fact that the beverage was trending upward anyway in terms of uh, this new generation of, of uh, soda drinkers who didn't want to drink soda? Yeah, great question. So there were a couple brands out at that time. I think there was one that's been out for almost 15 years at that mm-hmm. point. But from a consumer point of view, it was still so nascent. Burgeoning category, basically consumers who were hearing that this might be good for them. But there was ultimately a curiosity in terms of better for you and what can I do to help supplement gut health. And I think that's why the category ultimately has started to really take off because there is this interest in gut health. How do I do something better for myself? And kombucha, fermented tea, naturally rich in probiotics, does ultimately hit those nodes. Mm. And 
if you make it like Helve does, tastes good, naturally bubbly, and kind of hits that sensory that people are looking for to not only feel good and feel satiated, but also taste good too. Yeah, again, thinking back at like 2012 and um, you look at the, the, the general market for good for you or even natural foods, I think that was... 2012, 2013 was starting to be the year where natural was, was, was beyond expanding in terms of beverage, the beverage category even. But beyond that, how much like market research went into this? Because obviously you, the three of you had a, um, what did you say, an entrepreneur's club? Yes, oh, okay. entrepreneur club. <laughs> yeah, so um, and I, I, that sounds so similar to a lot of conversations I've had with friends in the past. Like when oh, many years ago, we didn't act on most of our ideas. But we would just sit and brainstorm. So I think a lot of people can resonate with that feeling is that, you know, I've, I've got a job. The job pays me well. I'm doing well in my career. But it just doesn't feel enough. Mm-hmm. And um, and you hear all these stories of people launching companies and having what seems like an overnight success. Uh, it makes you wonder, well, I'm smart and educated. Why can't I do that as well? So firstly, I wanted to say that that was really – I love that because – there's so many people that do that but never end up launching their own companies. And even if they end up doing it, uh, we rarely hear about their success stories. Yeah. And, you know, what I think when I look at us as a co-founding trio, mm-hmm. we are definitely greater than the sum of our individual parts. And I say that because when we were in this entrepreneur club, what I think is different as to why we're able to grow so fast is we were very resolute to the process. The process being understanding the feasibility of whatever idea and not just dreaming it up, but actually trying to understand what next step is best to take to get our business off the ground. And we had to come to a decision point, like for the parking spot finder. Mm -hmm. We ultimately did not launch that because it was a no-go in our feasibility analysis. Mm -hmm. But for kombucha and ultimately starting to sell in the farmer's market, we didn't necessarily size the market. Mm -hmm. What I remember is we really wanted so badly just to have something as our own. And at this point, remember, we had just... Uh, thought we were going to create a hair loss product. Mm -hmm. Now that that was kind of out of the question in terms of feasibility, what we're going to do, we're at a crossroads. And so we decided to sell that first bottle of kombucha at the farmer's market really out of this desire to do something. And it's taking that first step that I often think hinders some would-be entrepreneurs because Mm -hmm. that first step, that second step thereafter is probably the hardest and just keep on going once you do encounter these crossroads. Yeah. No, that's great advice. I mean, and I guess before we move on from this topic, I I, I have to ask the question is, so what does the science have to say about the benefits of SCOBY uh, or, you know, the kombucha culture for hair loss? Has that industry taken off? As far as I know, it hasn't. You know, it has not. (laughs) Um, What I do know is that where there's a will, there's a way. Yeah, so they, who knows? You know, there still may be time for that. Um, so you started at a farmer's market. Um, how did you go from there to it's time to quit your jobs, your day jobs? What I'm assuming was jobs that were paying the bills, uh, jobs that you had gone through pretty ex- you know, expensive uh, education for. Yes. Uh, and take this leap into the world of kombucha. Again, keeping in mind back in 2012, kombucha wasn't this drink where now you go into a grocery store and there's like 
15 plus options to choose from. Right. So in 2012, we were working our nine to five jobs still. We were brewing and fermenting kombucha on the weekends and nights and working the farmer's markets from you would get up at three or four in the morning and go staff your booth. And we did that day in, day out for the remainder of 2012 after we started in March. And when we pivoted to in 2013 to delivery wholesale around LA, it was more of a function of two things. One, we thought there had to be a better way to grow and scale our business. It was unsustainable to think that we could wake up at 3 a.m. every morning to continue on this cycle of work, kombucha, farmer's market, repeat. Mm -hmm. And so there was that thought, how do we do this better? And then two is, how do we scale? We can't just... think we're going to stay in these farmers markets anymore and naturally we grew because restaurants and stores were coming to the farmers markets and they wanted us to deliver to them actually so we thought aha we can make more money per case and while we're delivering Mm -hmm. so that was the very early and nascent cycle of our own distribution network if you will But as we started on this path into 2013, we realized, and personally for me, I knew that I was currently in business school at the time. I knew that I was going to quit my job, whether it be for health aid or for another venture, just because I purely did not feel fulfilled in what I was doing at that time. And so I knew I was going to take that leap, no matter what it was. And for me, it was health aid. And I wanted... And we all wanted to make sure that we gave it everything we could. And at the time, the business necessitated us to leave our jobs by the end of 2013 because it was just too much at that point. Mm -hmm. And you're right. Our jobs were very secure, paying us good money. And I remember my mom... She put together a spreadsheet being of Asian descent. She was very conservative and said, you're losing all your salary and you're losing all these benefits. You're losing all this opportunity cost of future dollars because of your very expensive education. Mm -hmm. So, and what are you going to do? You're going to make what? And so they didn't understand the concept of Mm -hmm. what I was trying to do for myself. But at the end of the day, I knew I had to try or I would always regret the what if. Mm. I think that's such a crucial point. I mean, I... I I've I spent 10 12 plus years in working in the corporate world before I started doing things on my own and it was eventually that very thing that made me take the leap about 9 years ago because I was like I'm, I'm probably going to regret it if I don't do it so I might as well just try. Yeah. But uh obviously you were also friends and this I'm sure looking back now uh, I don't know how much time you spent thinking about this but it's yeah, that can be amazing. It can also be challenging uh, because I'm, I'm assuming you and Diana had worked together, but um, you're now taking this big risk. You're almost taking your friendship up to the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people say uh, getting a co-founder and launching a company is almost like getting into a, a committed relationship. 100%. Um, what kind of conversations did you have at that point uh, knowing we're embarking on this journey that could turn out, you know, amazing or it could, not, could turn out to be a complete disaster. Yeah. So that's a great point. So we're best friends. And then I also want to point out that Justin and Diana are married. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a finer point on the dynamics that could be um, at risk, right? And I remember from the very beginning, we, we A, believed in each other and had confidence in each other's skills of dependability, reliability, and we were always there 
and still are um, in terms of lifting each other up and complementing one another where our skill set may be strengths or weaknesses. And we all work together in that way really well. But I remember the conversation was, all right, here's kind of the rules of engagement, if you will, how we communicate. And it was always very clear around here is a business discussion. Let's try and keep this business discussion outside of our personal discussion. But that's not to say over the years it didn't take work. Mm -hmm. I mean, we had to really have a discipline on having our friendship dates, right? They had to have a real large discipline to not let the business discussions encroach upon the married discussions. Mm -hmm. And that is a discipline all in of itself. But I truly believe that us as a trio working together has made the business stronger. And why we've been able to grow so fast is because of not just how we are together, but how we are as a team for the company and for the brand. Mm -hmm. And we continue to be the driving force. So in that way, I think we're stronger. I do look at other solo entrepreneurs and I I wonder how they go through the ups and downs Mm -hmm. without a co-founder, to be honest. Mm -hmm. You know, we mentioned this in the beginning. You came from uh, farmer sales. You didn't have a background in CPG. I'm assuming um, Diana and Justin also didn't. Uh, so you were entering this world of kombucha because uh, you you decided that may be a good area to explore as part of your, your your venture. Do you think the fact that you didn't know about how the CPG world and how the food and beverage industry worked, did it help you or hurt you in the beginning? In the beginning, I definitely think it helped. Mm -hmm. Um, And reason being is there's a whole new way of thinking. There wasn't the, I know how it's supposed to be done, so I'm going to follow that template. That allowed us to think, okay, what is the next best step for our business? What do we think based on all the inputs of learning from industry vets? How can we distill that into what we want to see in our business and it wasn't the same cookie cutter type of pattern to follow and I think it's with that type of new perspective and it's not thinking the bias of what could be because I know better Mm -hmm. it's more about thinking what could be yeah I see that a lot people who come in with uh, a playbook are tend to not want to stray from the playbook because that they know that works and they assume that same blueprint is going to work no matter what the circumstance. Yeah, and in thinking about a startup mentality, Mm -hmm. there's so much that happens. It's not just that one silo or department that you're used to being very focused on the function. You are literally essentially a firefighter in all regards, and you have to think outside of yourself, really, to understand how to push things forward. And sometimes mental fortitude doesn't, afford that when you've been used to the same routine for you know years on end. Mm-hmm. So initially, as you got traction, started going beyond the farmer's market, doing delivery, at what point, how many months in or years in did you, the three of you realize or feel like you were running a legitimate business? I ask this question often because it may sound strange because the moment you sold your product in the farmer's market, you were a business. But um, I do know, though, that a lot of people don't think of that moment to be the moment that they felt, well, we're succeeding now. <laughs> right. You know, to be quite honest, I think 
the moment I remember distinctly when we thought we had that I thought we had a sustainable business was when I was in Whole Foods downtown LA actually last year, so 2018, so quite a while after when we first started, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I was eating just lunch on the weekend, and I remember sitting at one of the counters, and there was three girls after their yoga class, they were having brunch there, and they all had health aid, and they were all telling each other how much they loved it, and that this was you know their jam after <laughs> yoga. And I thought, wow, we have such a loyal constituency and I'm just sitting here and they're telling each other about it. Like, we have something. Mm-hmm. And I know that it's silly because it comes, what, six years after when we sold our first bottle, but truly the mentality around kind of how do we kind of go further, kind of push that, you know, milestone further and do more, it, it didn't really dawn on me until that moment when I was just there to kind of marinate on what it felt like to hear feedback unprompted yeah i mean there is something to that right because in the fact that it took so many years it's because um i think when you're building something or working on something you tend to be so myopically focused on that in your little bubble um that you don't actually get to experience what the real world is doing with your product or what they think and feel about it and you know that's why I guess social media is nice. You can get to interact with people who care about your brand, but it's it's not the same thing. Uh, even you know, organizing an event for your more hardcore followers would be great, but uh, I guess it's something else to just sort of uh, stumble upon or eavesdrop on a conversation that that happens to be talking about something you created. Yeah, exactly. And you know, all the metrics, you know, the growth numbers, mm-hmm. the number of stores we're in, 25,000 now. I those don't mean as much than those individual conversations where it's unprompted, the feeling is there, you know that they're a brand lover and that's what really I think fulfills me and this is exactly why we started this company. Yeah. So, I mean, looking Let's take it to the point you are now, right? It's uh, it's 2019. It's, it's been a few years now since you've been at this. Um, if you had to sort of list in order priority or, or just tell me what you think comes to mind when, when you think about the key factors that have contributed to health aid being as um, successful as it is now compared to many others who possibly started around the same time with a similar idea, maybe similar product even. But why is HealthAid here today? Uh, as you said, 25,000 stores. I think your annual revenues crossed $100 million. You just recently had another round of investment uh, from Coca-Cola. Every number, every metric seems to be illustrating that your, your business is on track to continue to grow and get even bigger and better. Um, what now, looking back, I'm sure you've had time to assess it now as founders. Uh, what would you think made you, made HealthAid different? Yeah. So I think three things. First and foremost, the product. So when we brew, it's with best tasting, highest quality kombucha in mind from day one to now. And you know, as we were talking, I think it's one of those things that once someone comes in to try your beverage for the first time, you want them to know they're del- you're delivering on something. And for us, it's that taste and quality. So when our customers have tasted it, we have garnered this loyalty because it does taste so good. And there's always that quality kombucha in mind. I think second is our brand in terms of what it 
not just stands off and pops on the shelf, but what it has come to mean for people and really differentiated in the category. Uh, you, we always wanted to be a lifestyle brand. We always wanted to meet our consumers where their lifestyle points were and st- stand for something way more than just a product of kombucha. And I think we're starting to have that message resonate. And I think people love knowing you know, how this product came to be from us, how we started, and what we're committed to do, whether it be quality or also just standing as the champion of that happiest and healthiest you, the more of the why behind the product. And then third is the team. So it definitely takes a village to make real small batch all glass fermentation kombucha and you know our team from the operations to the front lines in sales and marketing are in it to win it goes above and beyond and honestly is why we were able to grow so fast because we're always in the mentality of how can we do more do right by the brand and you know it's really them to credit for why we were able to grow so fast and you know i think those three points are such important ones to highlight i mean of course the product it has to be good but the second one the the fact that you mentioned the brand. I mean, you can't, uh, in this day and age, I don't think you can discount the importance of creating meaning out of your product beyond just the product itself. Yeah. Um, and it takes, um, and it's, and you know, that then ends up defining your culture, defines the identity internally and externally of what your company stands for. And, and, and you're right. I actually, before health aid, I, I didn't, I hadn't, I don't think I'd encountered a kombucha that had such a young and relevant brand uh, that is still young and relevant uh, years after it's been launched. And of course, none of it's possible if you don't have a good team. So that's a given because I'm sure the things that got you out of that farmer's market to delivery in, in the local LA region to eventually in retail, uh, those skills are not the same skills necessarily that's going to take you to the next uh, milestone right. of yours. So, uh, you know, not just a team that can execute at where you stand today, but that can learn and adapt or add more team members to do that going forward. Um, what do you think has been sort of the cha- most challenging thing? Were there moments along the way where you doubted what you guys were doing? 100%. I mean, that's probably most of our time. <laughs> um, you know, in the beginning, it was we were basically paying ourselves $300 every six weeks, right? So we're like, are we in the right business and it was a hard time for us and you know even when we started in 2014 into distribution it was okay we had to learn basically the supply chain and understand how to really turn the gears within CPG whether it be in store with distribution and you start to encounter this little voice in the back of your head like the imposter syndrome like wait mm-hmm. do i have it within myself like what is this next best step. Am I making the right decision here? And so as we've grown, I've, I think daily there's been questions around, are we on the right track? And it's just a matter of checking in with yourself, making sure all the inputs are thought through, and then trying to think through the whole situation and doing right by the company, the brand, the product, and the people. Mm. And those are always what we think about as we move forward. Yeah, and that's again goes back to the point you mentioned earlier: the importance of having co-founders that you trust and uh, kind of un- who you can talk these these concerns or anxieties through. 
Um, and then, you know, that's where a team really helps is because you've got each other's back versus, you know, one person can easily slip into despair, but the other two can lift, uh, lift uh, him or her up. Right. For someone who's kind of thinking about starting their own company now, um, I think you're finally at the point where you, you don't need to have that imposter syndrome. Not that you needed my endorsement of it. Uh, you know that you. very well. Looking back, I mean, now you're a seasoned, I would say, entrepreneur in this space. What advice would you give a first-time entrepreneur who's kind of sitting, put yourself in their shoes where you were, like, I guess, a few years ago only? Uh, what, you, what, what do you think you wish you could have heard back then uh, that now you can give a new entrepreneur as advice? Yeah. So I'm going to go back to kind of being able to take that first step mm-hmm. and saying you have it within yourself because you know, that doubt always does creep in. But I think it's important to remind yourself and have someone tell you you're on the right track. Just keep on going. Take that first step if you're not already there. Because oftentimes I think the worst part is just not taking that first step, encountering analysis paralysis, mm-hmm. if you will, and not being able to really conquer what it is, which is fear. And I think that's one piece. A little bit more tangible advice, I would say, you know, it took a while for us to get you know, some real chops behind us in the finance and operations world. And particularly if you are maybe newer to CPG, it does help to have some of these seasoned people mm-hmm. are surrounding you that don't want to change things necessarily and change the vision, but help you grow and supplement that vision. So definitely the having the financial kind of quarterback, if you will, alongside you really help in planning how your business will and grow, how, how it will grow. Yeah, and did you face a big, um, and I guess I should have asked this earlier, but did you face a big um, hurdle as you figured out how to scale production of something like kombucha? Because as I think you mentioned earlier, it's, it's not the simplest thing to make. Yeah, actually, we encountered that in 2016, actually. And so a little bit about how we brew. So we brew in super small batches, all glass fermentation. And when I say super small, two and a half gallon glass jars. And it's the same way now that we've brewed it back in the farmer's market to how we brew it today. We've just been able to massively scale and make our operations very efficient to keep that kind of old school fermentation method as it is. And, you know, very simple ingredients, water, sugar, tea, and that SCOBY to ferment in our glass jars. And in the very beginning, we did look at co-manufacturers and co-packers, but no one essentially wanted to touch the fermentation process. It was too unwieldy for them. So, you know, the go-getters and entrepreneurs that we were, we said, okay, there's not a solution out there. We'll just kind of by sure grit and hustle, do it ourselves. And so really it was through that lens that we really grew our operations steadily over the last couple of years. And it wasn't until we moved into this brewery that we're sitting in today, uh, when we moved in in 2017, where we were really able to not to scale that type of production with the same quality in mind, but ultimately scale the operations and the machinery of that to do it on a large scale. I mean, right now we sell in all 50 states. We just entered Canada. We're in 25,000 stores. So to supply that much health aid mm-hmm. definitely takes a whole process and a scalable operations, which this place does today. But in order to prepare ourselves for that, we had to go through a lot of pitfalls. And one of those was in 2016 when we simply just didn't have our 
current brewery open yet, and we're at capacity at our old brewery, and we were out of stock for a good half of the year in 2016. And mm. let me tell you, that's not a fun conversation to have with anyone, mm. um, internal or external. And so we learned a lot from that process in terms of making sure we have the right operations team, making sure that we have a lens on scalable manufacturing, which I'm really proud to say we're poised to not just you know, offer best tasting, highest quality kombucha in our current method, but we're poised to be able to go beyond the current channels that we're in because of the way we're able to make it and staying true to that. Yeah, so let's talk about where you are right now. Um, what is the focus of Health Aid at the moment? Um, we talked a lot about your journey to this point, um, but for someone listening, you know, this isn't, a, you know, this is an ongoing story. Uh, Health Aid is still a pretty young company. What's, what, where do you stand right now? How would you assess the state of your business at the moment and where it possibly is going next? Yeah. So really proud of what we've been able to accomplish thus far. Fastest growing brand in kombucha, fastest growing refrigerated functional beverage in 2018. And as we look to what we want to do, not just in kombucha, but beyond, it's a really exciting time because as I mentioned, we, when we started this company, we ultimately wanted to meet our consumers where their lifestyle points were. And for the most part, our growth thus far has really been in the grocery channels, if you will, mm -hmm. and measure channels. So we've been able to encounter very fast growth to this point today because of growth there. And we're currently the number three brand. But we are poised to really scale into other channels like on-premise, hospitality, really where our consumers already know us, but they may just not find us available. Mm -hmm. And so for me, that's a very exciting piece to build out our kombucha story mm -hmm. and continue on this path of fastest growing kombucha brand. But overall... We are and can be and will be leaders of digestive health. Kombucha as a fermented tea, rich in probiotics, health aid as a brand that for, stands for better for you. Uh, we are very excited and poised to offer that to customers, not just in kombucha, but beyond. Mm. Okay, I'm going to get to that in a bit. But uh, leading up to that, that discussion or that question, uh, I would love to kind of understand how when you're approaching your team and 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 the the internal culture of this company right now um how do you like what is what is your next how, where have you moved the goalpost to now where's what's that next milestone you're aiming for um in the, in the as i said earlier i mean in the early days of a company it's pretty simple just just grow at all costs um yeah. and anything any, any growth is better because it's better than what yesterday was. Uh, but you're no longer at that stage now. You have, you have capital, you have success, you have distribution, you have manufacturing capabilities, you have a good team, you have a brand, you're in your experienced entrepreneurs now. Uh, where you go next is almost equally scary. <laughs> I would agree with that. And it's such a... Actually, that's what makes it exciting too, mm -hmm. right? Because then now we have a whole new chapter to curate. And that goalpost is no longer defined maybe by a revenue level or by necessarily a metric that's a hard line in the sand. I actually think that next goalpost is to really bring to life the health aid brand and all that it could be. And that's maybe seeming vague, but what I mean by that is when we started this, we knew it can be much more than just healthy kombucha. 
HealthAid as a brand name for and platform for Better For You Beverage it is a huge opportunity. And we want to be leaders in beverage. We want to be leaders in digestive health. And we know we are poised to do so. And kombucha is just one way we can. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited to manifest that as well as really ultimately build out that story in terms of that emotional connection with our consumers within their lifestyle points. And I know Mm -hmm. we can do that. Yeah. I mean, you have stayed pretty focused in the last few years since your launch, right? It's, it's, it's been you have how many flavors now about eight we have 18 flavors now yeah and it comes in different sizes um so our 16 ounce we have our larger size Mm -hmm. uh we also have our smaller size the eight ounce our little friend for the food service world still it's all kombucha and it's all uh variations of the same basic product um I guess what I'm leading next is, and you you kind of alluded to it, which is um, diversification beyond uh, just kombucha. Is that a possibility, a thing that you're actually working on that you would like to talk about? Um, because you're right, your brand is health aid. It, it can it can be a broader platform. the The kind of meaning of that brand extends beyond just one type of drink. I mean, you are focused. I mean, your tagline "Follow your gut" couldn't be cooler. Uh, to achieve much bigger, a much bigger vision than what you're doing right now. So if you can give us a sense of what that's going to look like practically and timing-wise as well. Yeah. So I think first and foremost, we've only scratched the surface of kombucha. So mm-hmm. we started there. We're here now. We've been able to experience a lot of growth with HealthAid Kombucha. And I think we have still so much to go in our core competency, which is kombucha. It, just for kind of level setting, household penetration of the category is only 14% in the U.S. Mm-hmm. So in terms of education and awareness and what we can really be as the leader in kombucha, I'm excited for that. So there's so much to execute on in that way. But as we also understand what we know we could be in terms of a brand platform, we are definitely looking into uh, adjacencies and what it looks like to build out a platform of better for you beverage and being the leaders of digestive health, hashtag follow your gut, you know, playing nicely into that. Mm -hmm. I can't divulge too many details Mm -hmm. right now. Uh, Maybe I'll have to come back in a year to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, can we expect hard kombucha from HealthAid? I'll just ask that question. <laughs> We're looking into all factors of kombucha. Yeah, that's an interesting new trend that I, I don't know how much I love, uh, but that's just me. Uh, what, so, okay, I'd love to talk about what it is that you're focused on when it comes to learning at this moment, right? Because mm. what I did kind of just mention earlier was, although you are at this enviable position at the moment where a lot of other beverage companies would love to be, a lot of food entrepreneurs would love to be. Um, I bet you aren't just sitting back and relaxing and taking long vacations. You're preparing for that next chapter. And just as you had to learn a lot of lessons to get to this point, where's your focus as a as an entrepreneur, as a leader within the company? Let's talk about you personally. Yeah. Um, where are you focusing your energy so that you are able to then play this new role as HealthAid then uh, takes the next step in its journey? Yeah, that's a lot of what I think about right mm-hmm. now, actually. And it's quite the opposite of taking long vacations. Um, it's it's actually in the driver's seat and really focusing on the growth vision of the tomorrow and how 
you know, maintaining an eye on the today as well. And the growth vision comes with many different kind of vertical thoughts. It's, you know, what's the team to get us there? What are the tools that we need to really build a sustainable and smooth and efficient operations? And, you know, in terms of the team, how are we allowing them to feel even more empowered to do more, take on more? And ultimately, it's how we continue to drive sustainable, efficient operations as well, because it's not simply just one small silo view that we're looking at. It's how do we grow this whole as an enterprise? And there's many pieces therein. So for me, it's more about the growth vision and ultimately how we drive sustainability to help hit that growth vision. Mm-hmm. I bet a lot of your lessons from business school are now helping you more than it did in the beginning. 100%. Right? In the beginning, I was like throwing the textbook out the window. <laughs> and, you know, when I hear things like core competency, yes. Porter's five forces, you know, all, all, all these things are coming back to me in PTSD a little bit. Because <laughs> I, you know, in, in, I didn't go to business school, but I spent enough time in the, in the business world to know that what large corporations focus on a lot of it is so irrelevant in the early days of a startup. 100%. Um, it's just go, go, go in the beginning. And it almost like all these other things that big companies have the luxury to sit and worry about are almost completely useless. <laughs> 100%. I remember being in class, learning about Operations 101, mm. and it was like a util- utility um, capacity discussion. Mm. And I remember thinking in the back of my head, well, we have to fulfill 60 cases. So we have no room for error there. So I don't know, this textbook's just wrong. (laughs) Um, But now a lot of that is coming actually to good use. Yeah, it really depends what business and at what stage of the business, because the problems that you encounter are completely different. And the things that you have to focus on now, for example, team and culture and organizational management. Oh, yes. Are a waste of time in the beginning. Totally. Not, not that you shouldn't think about people, but you can sit around a table with the people you're working with yes. as opposed to now I'm sure your team's big enough where it won't fit in this conference room. Right, exactly. And so the organizational development and the structure and the mm-hmm. implementation therein and making sure you build a team of leaders, not just people who are you know going about their day, is definitely a huge piece of my day and what I think about. And oftentimes, you know, the people management of everything takes a bulk of what the energies are toward. Yeah. I mean, as you as you grow, that's, that's as a leader, that's where your focus ends up shifting more and more, which most people don't realize because the, the fun in the beginning, if you succeed, you no longer have to do that anymore. The things that you find fun. <laughs> right, right, uh, right. You're no longer the technician pumping the kombucha into the jar, right? <laughs> yeah, literally. So so what energizes you now at this stage, right? Because, of course, you were driven in the beginning because you just never had done something like launch your own company. Um, but here you are now. Now when you wake up in the morning and are coming into work uh, or looking at your emails, like what is getting you pumped to keep doing this versus taking a long vacation? Yeah, I I think about this a lot. And before I would say there's two things, but now there's three things that really kind of tug at my heartstrings. One is, you know, hearing people unprompted say, this is the best. I love it. You should try it. It means that we're doing something right and we have a following. That's awesome. Uh, second is the team, you know, the reason why we got here is because the team, how we'll get there is because of the team. 
And to see, you know, some people starting an organization as a 1099 rep back in 2013, and they've been able to develop and evolve with our organization Mm -hmm. is probably the most beautiful thing you can see from a leader and senior people develop. And then the third thing that really gets me going is all that we will do in the future. So I think as anyone who is an entrepreneur has this curiosity about what could solve a problem, I think this building of health aid, not just within kombucha and solidifying our place in it, but also what we could be across the board for Better For You Beverage is just an exciting proposition. Mm-hmm. And are you personally driven by, uh, or were you always driven by health? And is that a big focus? I know that's part of your company, your brand, and your company culture. Um, is that something personally that drives you as well a lot? I think it, it's not just health; it's more about kind of self care mm-hmm. and what that meaning of health means to me to keep me right for myself for longevity. And you know, in terms of healthy eating and making the right choices for my body. I think I've always been really in tune to that. Um, But now it's been more focused around self-care for kind of mental health, total body, holistic wellness, and understanding how it's not just as simple as eating only kale Mm -hmm. and, and that's it. It's having the whole package be there, not just one side of it. Yeah, I know. I, I think we tend to have, at least we used to have a very reductionist view of health. And it's always like, now this will solve all your problems. Uh, eat this one product or like the kale thing that happened. Uh, and then it was juice fast or something else right. next. And um, and I guess that's that's good to hear from someone who runs a kombucha company that, you know, you're not claiming kombucha is going to be the solution to everyone's problems. Yeah. I mean, in fact, we we didn't want to take that um, very stuffy view that, mm-hmm. that you know, kombucha is your cure-all and take the very scientific route. We want to make sure that kombucha is available for all and we want to you know, help under, I guess, maybe debunk this preconceived notion around you know a certain type of person only drinks kombucha. Mm-hmm. We really believe it's more about the health that it takes to be happy and whether that means, you know, eating two pieces of pizza and drinking a health aid or, you know, going out to an amazing indulgent meal and then doing yoga or Pilates or whatever makes you feel good is what we want to advance. It's not being that more um, dogmatic view of how you need to be. And that means you're healthy. Right. And I'm sure as part of this process of crafting the, the next chapter of your story, you're probably keeping a close eye, you and the rest of the team, on what's happening in the in the food and beverage industry right now. What are your thoughts on the current state of um, what's happening in beverages, especially? I mean, of course, right in the beginning, you mentioned you know health aid is is the soda for the millennial generation, but now everyone's trying to be the soda for the millennial generation, whether they offer a kombucha or not. I mean, there's I won't list the types of products that I encounter. I'm personally fascinated by the space, so I will go to the grocery store and just, you know, sample random products. Or I go to trade shows and I get a chance to do that. Um, And it, you know, (laughs) while I'm excited, at the same time I worry about uh, how many of these products will be around a few years down the line. So when you look around at, at, at the trends, whether it's, you know, it's the whole hard seltzer trend. That's oh, the seltzer trend in general, yeah. and then the hard seltzer trend, and now you have um, 
as I said earlier, hard kombucha and fermented ciders. And everyone's looking for low sugar beverage alternatives like soda is got its days numbered at this rate yet we still have a long way to go as you said earlier yes exactly what's cool is to see you know maybe because i am in beverage i notice it so much more but there is such a plethora of emerging brands out there and that entrepreneurial spirit the innovation that's out there is really such a buzz and it makes anyone who is excited by the new like you feel like you're on a high with all that's being created created out there. What I love seeing is, you know, the pl- plant-based trend, perf- mm-hmm. not just perfect for this subject here, but I think that as we look to alternative sources for fuel, plant-based is awesome. Second, you know, better for you is not going away in no matter what form that comes in. I think there is a movement in general for people to do more, feel better about themselves. And that comes in the form of better for you beverage. I think ultimately what wins the day though is quality beverage Mm -hmm. and also a brand that can stand the test of time. Who knows which one has it out there, but I do think that consumers are savvy and can understand ultimately what they're, body and their taste buds are telling them and they'll they'll continue to be loyal to the ones that deliver quality and mm-hmm. they'll continue to believe in the brands that do stand for something yeah the next five years i think are going to be very interesting as these trends evolve right one is the shift away from soda to better for you beverages kombucha is included in that list or seltzers and other things like that uh, a second trend is also there are signs that people are drinking less alcohol and and choosing beverages like kombucha as alternatives or people choosing low alcohol alternatives um, as an option because they realize it's better for their health. So it's this, you know, they realize excessive consumption of sugar is terrible. Um, alcohol is not good for your body in general. Right. Uh, and so too much of that is not good either. Now, what's going to replace those rituals in people's days, whether it's when you normally would reach for a soda in the middle of, you know, work day, people are now reaching for a kombucha. Or when you come home from work, when you're unwinding, if you reach for the wine bottle or the, uh, the, the, gla- uh, the can of beer, you're now reaching for something like kombucha or any other options out there. To me, that's like not just, um, you know, it's not just a health trend. It's a cultural revolution mm-hmm. that's happening. Yeah, no, you're so right. I think that that's why some of these larger alcohol companies and CSD companies are trying to understand how do they evolve with this new consumer and their needs and what they're wanting. Because it's no longer just, you know, give me the highest ABV thing so I can get wasted. It's mm-hmm. don't give me the, sh- the the highest sugar bubbly beverage. Give me something that still satiates that sensory with the bubbles. But how do I fit this into what I'm trying to do for myself, whether it be low sugar, low calorie, but still tastes good? And how do I still feel like I'm part of the party, mm-hmm. but not you know, be the party, right? And so <laughs> I think it's that understanding that companies, these larger companies really have to understand a little bit more. And maybe that's where the innovative emerging brands really come to play and come to light because we're able to bring to market some of these things that consumers are wanting. Yeah, and I think the new consumer is, is very different in the sense that... Um, and, and I've probably said this before on the podcast too, but whether it's millennials or Gen Z, finally we have uh, well, what, half of our 
population in the U.S. that can't be fooled so easily because they've grown up, they're digital natives, they've grown up in a, in, in a world where uh, your marketing bullshit, for lack of a better word, I don't mean health days, I mean in general, people's marketing bullshit can't trick a consumer. So if you know low calorie is a trend, now you're getting people to buy low calorie beer, um, and then they're consuming more of it, where they end up consuming more calories. Right. Uh, it's not going to fly these days. Where consumers are just smarter, you you can't fool them with with uh, with cool advertising anymore. Hundred percent. You have to be authentic, and they will. And and also, I think it's the it's the internet and access to information that even if you trick them for a while, someone someone or the other will uncover the truth. Right, right. And I think that's what makes this time period so, you know, if you're a historian, just so mm-hmm. interesting to document because you know what you know this little computer in everyone's hand, this phone is able to allow you to have access to just knowledge, information sharing. If I wanted to know what health aid was, I can just simply Google it. And within a matter of seconds, I could see what is in it. And you can't trick someone like you said. I think the consumer is more and more sophisticated around what they want, how they get what they want. And I think it's on the brand, the manufacturer, to actually help meet those needs. And that will help determine the survival of the fittest, to be quite honest. Yeah. I mean, I, the more I think about and I hear you talk about this, and especially in the context of where things are headed in the future, I think of um, the challenge you face now is is, is you've got this, this responsibility uh, on your shoulders. You've got a brand that has a great reputation, that has a loyal consumer base, that has you know got the financial success that any business would want. You've got to hold on to that, and whatever next steps you take, have to preserve that integrity of what Health Aid stands for. I mean, it's 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 a good problem to have, but it's it's still a problem <laughs> because y- you could easily be tempted into going into fifteen different directions now because you can right. But will that be the necessarily the right choice? Who knows, right? And so right. you've got to make those levels of decisions now uh, that will determine the future of this company. Yeah, no, you, when, when you put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Don't mean to scare you, but... Uh, but no, you're right. I mean, it's exciting at the same time, right? Right, and I think that is really the exciting piece of the business now. It's that vision and that growth into the future, not just for kombucha, but beyond. And then mm-hmm. also, you know, what our role in that will be. And we've always wanted to be leaders, not just in kombucha and beverage. And now we have a platform to do so and to make sure we do right again by the brand, by our customers, by our company, our team. It's something that's always in the forefront of what we're thinking about. And if anything, as founders, it's what we're committed to. Mm -hmm. And so if you look ahead, like looking at the future of, um, uh, of, of the food and beverage industry, of this consumer revolution in some ways that's that's starting to happen in in these years i know you mentioned like yeah in the context of history it'll be interesting to analyze uh what's happening in the last you know five ten years and what will continue to happen in the next decade obviously we're going to see a lot of shifts and evolutions who could have predicted even like 10 years ago that kombucha would have been so big now mm-hmm. who knows what that next trend is going to be and from your standpoint you've got to keep an eye on this because you don't want to be the next soda um right. not that you would because you know soda had a long run uh, because people they got away with it uh, but i think that run is slowly ending um 
So when you look at the future of food and beverage and and what it means um, to our culture, for society, for people's health, um, for the planet, firstly, what is your idea of that better future mm. for people, and how does how does health aid kind of fit into this? Um, and I'm not just talking about five, ten years down the line. I'm saying, you know, let's look ahead. I, I typically give the year 2050 because I. For many reasons, I think by the year 2050, um, depending on the decisions we make today and the things that people choose to consume and manufacture today, we're going to either create a better food system and we're going to create a healthier, happier population of human beings on this planet, or we're going to be much worse off. I am an optimist, and I think that companies like HealthAid and several others who I feature on my podcast are building that better future but I'd love to know what your idea of that better future looks like. Yeah. So maybe because, and I'll give some personal context to me. So I live in downtown LA, very close to Skid Row. And so I, I see day to day kind of this disparity around access and education to food, let's say. So for me, it would be a dream come true if the education around better for you food is available for all, not just you know for people who have a smartphone and can easily get it or access in a way that a price point inhibits someone from purchasing an apple versus you know bag of chips. Let's just say, and so for me, I would love to understand how we change this cycle of access and education where there's so many people in the U.S. that don't even know about kombucha first off and even far less know about the benefits of real food versus processed food. And you know, third, I think, you know, to your point around kind of 2050, I think it starts now around creating scalable systems of food, food and sustainability practices that allow us to be around even in 2050 to see the fruits of that labor. And you know, just the devastation that's going on in the Amazon breaks my heart right now because to think about what that means to the world in 10 years from now, I can't even fathom. But for us, I think we have a responsibility to continue research and development around not scalable systems in not just creating healthy kombucha, but also creating other product lines that meet different consumer needs, consumer levels, price points that allow for access, increased education around real food. And for me, that's really where I want to focus kind of our community stance. And I think we've already done a little bit of that. Last year, we've been able to work with some inner city schools around LA to you know offer our organic materials as compost so that they can garden in their schools. Those kids around five years old, they are riddled with cavities and, and gold teeth even because they have they haven't had real fruit. They only eat candy at home. Mm. And so that to me is so sad to see. But I do think you know, we as individuals and as an organization can help change that cycle little by little. And I do hope that you're successful. I love your product, love the brand, and I love the the big mission that you have. And uh, and I know I kind of said you have this huge responsibility on your shoulders, but I think you are already handling it well. And um, if you can, if you've, if the, if any of the success you've experienced so far is any indication of what 
you and your co-founders and the team that you've built here is capable of, I have no doubt that you guys will be successful in the years ahead. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, Vanessa, this has been a pleasure. Thanks for having me over and for the kombucha and for the great conversation. Thank you. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Nil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit EFTP.co. That's EFTP.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, only by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.